Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, October 31st, 2022. Happy Halloween, everyone. On the show today, news, including at least one completely unfounded rumor about a Magic Kingdom attraction, plus surveys, and in listener questions, we've apparently stumbled into one of the universe's great mysteries. Then in our main segment, Jim tells us the history of Disney's Pop Century Resort, which has a birthday coming up to celebrate its opening back in 2003. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that Waffle House is just Southern hibachi. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I am so glad you brought up Waffle House because whenever Nancy and I drive south, we have to stop. I I need my Formica. Because <laughs> I know what you mean. Just ahead of, the, of today's show, I found out there is an actual Waffle House museum. Um, no. Yes, it is. It's located at the Avondale Estates in Georgia. It's actually on the sense. site of the very first restaurant, uh, which opened on Labor okay. Day, 1955. And you can have the the authentic early Waffle House experience if you go to this place. Jim, I've been in Waffle Houses that are frozen in time and believe that I have actually had the, <laughs> the, the original frozen house. Like, you know, you walk in and it's like the... Uh, Pictures of the menu items that are on display in the uh, that are backed by lights mm-hmm. are sort of faded to that sort of sepia tinged oh. brown. That means they've been there since the seventies or, or earlier, and you're like, "Oh, this is going to be some good food right here." At some point, ask the cook to show you the spatula. After so many years of prepping, <laughs> smash, crash, bash, whatever the, the the hash browns are. That, in fact, I think even the spatula it takes on a sepia tone at some point. <laughs> That's something that should be in the Smithsonian as well. There, All right. There we go. Let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Disturbed1, RyanTur12, Mike Brown, and Nick, UNCRX199. And longtime subscribers, Fernando J. Garcia, Clint Townsend, The Traveling Sideberries, and Sky Blue. Jim, these are the Disney cast members who invented the holiday snope machine that sends simulated snow into the air during Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party. They said that heavily sugared Frosted Flakes was actually their first choice because it looks more like snow. But during testing, the local wildlife discovered sticky corn-dusted interns smelled great. And that was the end of that experiment. True story. (laughs) Again, there's so so much Disney history that I don't know, Len. Oh, my God. Can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. Just saying. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, so Jim, you and I are doing the second annual Gingerbread Challenge in Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. It starts Friday, December 2nd, and we're doing a live podcast recording on December 2nd to start off this event. Tickets are available at tinyurl.com slash gingerbreaddish, all one word, all lowercase. And Jim, our topic here is March of the Wooden Soldiers, and you've actually heard from people who were in this specific parade. I'm beginning my interviews with these folks, and I'm still collecting stories. So if anybody else marched down the street in one of those very confining outfits, I'd love to hear from you. So please reach out. Uh, we're also doing this at the – so this is going to be at the Contemporary Resort. It's walking distance to the Magic Kingdom. Breakfast starts at 8 a.m. Podcast starts at 8.30. Should be run for no more than like eh, three hours. And it's a Friday, Saturday with lots of fun things to do. I've seen the trophies that Chrissy has for the various events. If she gets them past Disney security, uh, I think everyone will have a great time. Also, uh, Jim, you and I are doing the Galactic Star Cruiser Voyage on March 30th, 2023. We've already got somewhere between 22 and 26 cabins booked, and that's a decent portion of the 100 cabins available on the uh, ship. There's only uh, a few cabins left. If you'd like to join us, 
Uh, sorry, bookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish to get a quote. All right, Jim, remember I said on uh, last week's show that from this point until the end of the year, I will have nothing but positive spin on all Disney news mm-hmm. that happens during this time. So last week, a fire broke out on one of the barges used for Epcot's harmonious fireworks show. Mm-hmm. And in keeping with that promise, Jim, to only look on the bright side of things for Disney, I would like to say that burning harmonious down for the insurance money, if coupled with something like a one-night-only supercalifragilistic s'mores dessert party in the UK, would bring a lifetime of precious memories to all of our Disney's friends who attended. And so I think that is a simply wonderful idea. By the way, I am taking side bets on how long Mr. Testa can actually do this. You know, so <laughs> people are, you know, listeners are actually sending me in um, different suggestions on how to spin news items. I so I'm getting some assistance here. I saw that. I just, yeah. again, I, th- Thank I, you all. I think the phrase is enablers, Len, but please, you know. <laughs> it's just another magical way to celebrate, Jim. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, speaking of Christmas, our friends over at Walt Disney World Magic, WDWMagic.com, note that six of the upcoming Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party dates have already sold out. So the sold out dates are November 8th, 10th, and 11th. Those are the first three dates, plus the 17th, 20th, and 22nd, which I guess is roughly speaking Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Also December 6th and 18th. Uh, the available dates now are um, November 14th, 15th, 18th, 27th, and 29th. And then December 1st, 2nd, 4th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 13th, 15th, 16th, 20th, and the last one on the 22nd. Hmm. So still some, uh, still some dates available. Okay, okay. Awesome. And I think I miscounted there. I think it's actually eight uh, sold out dates, not six. Also, Jim, um, every show should have a round of self-congratulations. Back in July, we got an email from a listener named Suzanne who said that she'd heard from a cast member at Typhoon Lagoon that Blizzard Beach was getting a conveyor belt system to help guests get rafts up the hill at runoff rapids. And remember, Jim, you and I had seen photos from BioReconstruct of a very large crane on the perimeter of Blizzard Beach, presumably there to put something big and expensive into place. So it turns out that uh, Disney's announced that Blizzard Beach is reopening November 13th, and the Tykes Peak area, which is the kids' play area, is now Mm frozen-themed with statues of Olaf all around. And by the powers of Josh Gad, Jim... (laughs) Disney confirmed that a new conveyor belt system has been put in place to help guests get wraps up the hill at Runoff Rapids. So good job, Suzanne, on that. Thanks again. Jim, did you happen to hear the universal earnings call that was on just before we recorded this morning? No. Okay. Ah, so I've got some news from you too. God, this is great. So uh, all positive news for Universal all the way Mm -hmm. around. The thing that would be of interest to us is that their theme park revenue was up 42.4% to over uh, $2 billion, mm-hmm. and their profit was up 88.6% to $819 million. Mm-hmm. Universal Orlando generated its highest adjusted earnings on record for the third quarter, and there is positive momentum at both Universal Japan and Universal Beijing. Mm-hmm. They noted strong demand at their U.S. parks with uh, attendance and guest spending increasing year over year. Mm-hmm. So... Good quarter for uh, for Universal. That it is. And that it is. We've kind of seen this, right? We've seen the uh, if you look at the wait times mm-hmm. and how they've increased year over year at Universal, it was kind of obvious that they were having a very strong quarter. I didn't realize that they were going to make that much money, but uh, but good for them. And we've said before, you know, they're they're doing some good things. They've they've hired a lot of engineers on the back end to make things run smoothly. Mm-hmm. So good, good quarter for them. Just earlier this month, I actually got the chance to visit Universal Orlando, and it was my first time staying at Endless Summer, and it was somewhat surreal to arrive at that intersection and go, okay, 
that's where Wet n' Wild was, and there's <laughs> where the parking lot was. And, <laughs> and to see yeah. this giant hotel complex filled with people who were charging back and forth both to do the parks as well as Halloween Horror Night. So it was kind of interesting to explore the new place. The thing that I was impressed with in staying there mm-hmm. was the short amount of time that it took to get from the hotel to the theme parks. And I think I've, I've mentioned this to you. I don't know if I, was, I should have mm-hmm. said it on the show, but from the time I got on the bus to the time I was at the front of a theme park was seven minutes, which is kind of incredible, mm-hmm. right? Because there are places, there are certainly places uh, uh, in Universal's hotels mm-hmm. where you were not seven minutes from a theme park. And so to be able to do that across I-4 mm-hmm. is a spiffy bit of logistics, That's, if I do say so myself. pretty impressive yeah. in and of itself. Also, speaking of Universal, it looks like Universal Studios Hollywood uh, will open its Super Nintendo Land next March 10th. Mm-hmm. If you spell out the abbreviation for March, which is M-A-R, and the number one O, it looks like Mario. Ha ha. Oh. Kind of funny. Love what you guys are doing in marketing there. Keep it up. That's kind of funny. Yeah. So that's that, And that's going to be interesting for us because it's going to be the first peak we see. It is. Yeah. The Mario Brothers movie opens just one month later on April 7th, mm, interesting. Uh, 2023. and. It, already been warned from folks at Universal to be aware that when they do the premiere, which will be late March, early April, mm-hmm. they're going to effectively close that part of the park out ahead of the premiere because the idea is they hold the premiere up on uh, Universal City Walk at the AMC mm-hmm. Universal Theater there. And then afterwards, mm-hmm. they're going to just truck the entire cast and all of their guests down to the lower lot to Super Nintendo World and hold the post-premiere party there. Oh, sounds like a great idea. Keep that in mind if you're making travel plans to go out to California to be among the first to experience this land, because there's going to be at least one day when, I'm sorry, you can't go down to that part of the park because we're, <laughs> we're prepping it for the premiere. Right. At least it will, we'll have advanced knowledge of that, so people who are planning their trips can, can work around it. Mm-hmm. And Jim, the last bit of news. That's not really news, uh, but maybe put this in the category of unseemly rumors. A certain Magic Kingdom attraction might be available Mm -hmm. for early rides in March of 2023 and perhaps wide availability in April of 2023 as well. That's just gossip, nothing more, nothing to be said further on it. When we say early, we're we're saying just after, I mean, dawn, just after dawn, is is that... (laughs) When people might be able to experience this attraction, Len? the, uh, uh, The dawns. In the Magic Kingdom in March, and particularly in April, okay, uh, will be extremely interesting to lots of people. That's what I'm, All right. you know, if you're into that sort of thing, sunsets and sunrises and whatnot, sure. All right, let's move on to uh, surveys uh, from Justin, uh, a Disney Cruise Line survey about The Wish. <laughs> so my friend Justin was recently on The Wish. He stayed concierge and got an interesting survey from them. And of the 70 or 80 questions that Disney asked, I've narrowed it down to a handful of the interesting ones. In one point in the survey, uh, Justin rated his check-in experience as something less than excellent. Mm-hmm. So the follow-up question was this, which of the following, if any, are reasons why you rated your check-in experience at the terminal as less than excellent? Uh, and the options were experience with crew member at check-in desk, the wait time to be cleared to board, the embarkation health screening experience, The next steps in the process were not clear or were difficult to find. The overall check-in process from parking lot to check-in desk was just not great uh, or other. And so Justin had checked uh, wait time to be cleared to board. Next steps were not clear. And the concierge waiting area was tired and super crowded, 
which I've boarded there before, and uh, given the ship the size of the Wish, which I believe has more uh, concierge rooms than, than other ones, I would believe that the terminal was not was not designed for that. So that seems like a valid uh, a valid concern. Yeah, I didn't. We actually do concierge or pass through the concierge lounge for. Uh, <laughs> we did, and I made sure that uh, our group was not crowding out the people <laughs> that was in Justin's group. I'm like, hey, you, you weren't on the on the cruise on the 23rd with us, were you? Because that was totally us that was screwing this up. <laughs> <laughs> Was not, was not, was the following week, okay. which is good. Right. Well, good to hear. And by the way, have you have you got a survey from Disney about about your experience on the wish? I think Disney sees my name and it's like, oh no, and no, he's like, yeah, no filter, no, filter. Not yeah, him. I have not got one either. Yeah. I've not got one either. Mm-hmm. Next question though was, uh, please rate Castaway Key on each of the following attributes, and I've n- I've never seen this one before. Mm-hmm. Um, so the options are excellent, very good, good, just okay, mm-hmm. poor, or I don't know, or I didn't experience. Family friendliness. Hmm. cleanliness, shopping, natural beauty and scenery, the weather, things to do in the destination, and dining. And so here's my, here's my question. Mm-hmm. Weather in particular. No matter what you answer that question, mm-hmm. what is Disney going to do about it? <laughs> well, I, what? you know, I, I, I think you know, we can no longer contact Fred McMurray and, and have him, you know, <laughs> Yeah, like what do you what do you do? No matter what the answer is, right? If there's a you know, let's say that everyone rates it in one category. What what step two? Well, like what do you? What's your action item coming out of it? I guess if it's like if it's always raining or if it's super sunny, mm-hmm. you know, you could put in more shade or put in more covering. But there doesn't seem to be a follow up question that said what specifically about the weather was the issue. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, I couldn't figure. It's great to have it there, mm. but it's not like they're going to move the island. Like, we, we, no. what? Yeah. Everything else I get. Family friendliness, mm. cleanliness, I understand. Shopping. I don't know that anyone is going to Castaway Key for shopping, mm-hmm. but fine. Natural beauty and scenery, God, they can do some stuff with that. Things to do in the destination, obviously they can address that. Dining, they can obviously address that. But the weather question to me was like, building a dome? What are we, what, what's, what are we doing here? Anyway. The other question, and related to this one, was how did you spend your day mm-hmm. in Castaway Key? And the four options were, I stayed in the ship. I didn't experience this particular port. I explored it on my own. I took an independent shore excursion or tour, or I took a Disney Cruise Line port adventure. Mm-hmm. And then based on that, you got follow-up questions around it. The next question on Castaway Key was, um, please rate Castaway Key on each of the following attributes. And your categories here are excellent, very good, good just okay, poor. And again, don't know, didn't experience. The time I was able to spend in the destination, and Justin here said very good. I think, and I think when we were there, mm-hmm. like I'm generally in Castaway Key for as long as I want to be there. Like I don't feel like I'm rushed mm-hmm. to leave and I don't feel like um, it's too long because by the time I'm done, like, you know, three, four o'clock, I'm ready to go back to the ship, take a nap, take a shower and get up and go do other things, right? Mm-hmm. The selection of port adventures offered by Disney Cruise Line. And this is kind of interesting when coupled with the previous question around things to do. Mm-hmm. Because there's a limited amount of development on Castaway Key mm-hmm. that Disney can use for these things. And I think if they added more port adventures, mm-hmm. they would almost by necessity be off the island. Like in the waters off the island, mm-hmm. not in the island itself. Because let's face it, you and I explored virtually all of the developed areas. Yep. Of Castaway Key. So unless they were going to start developing the backside of the island, and there's a ton of space where they could they could develop that there's environmental concerns. Mm-hmm. What 
Yeah. Where are they going with that? That's super interesting. Just back in September, we, we got our first looks at concept art and that sort of thing for Lighthouse Point, you know, the, right. okay. the second yeah. island. And you sure. got to wonder once that comes online, what happens with Castaway Key? You know, we've got an entire backside of the island that... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got it. Oh, and it's interesting too because Disney could then decide, like, we, we know that the Wish fares are 20% higher than, like, the Dream, which is going out of Miami for comparable mm-hmm. itineraries, mm-hmm. right? So a four-night on the Wish going to Nassau and Castaway Key with a, with a sea day mm-hmm. is, roughly speaking, 20% more expensive than the exact same itinerary going out of Miami on the Dream, right? Mm-hmm. So Disney could say, well, if Lighthouse Point is rated higher than Castaway Key, we send the most expensive ships to Lighthouse Point. And we send the less expensive ships to Castaway Key, thereby making it a selling point. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So that's that, okay. I, I see that. That makes sense. It's going to be interesting over the next five years or so. You know, once Lighthouse comes, oh yeah, on, how they allocate it, yeah, you know, yeah. And and likewise, the Disney Treasure. Do we have a a delivery date on that yet? That's two thousand twenty three, two thousand twenty four. I would be shocked if it was twenty twenty three, and I would be frankly surprised if it was early twenty twenty four, just because. Okay. Um, we'd, if it was 2023, they would have would have pictures of it, would have itineraries. Mm-hmm. They would be selling. If it was 2023, they'd be selling it already because mm-hmm. we're basically at the end of 2022. So I'm thinking it's more like mid 2024. Yeah, in fact, I, I can verify that right now. Uh, I'm on the Disney Park, Parks blog, and it says as of September, the Disney Treasure is scheduled for delivery in 2024, and it's the second of three new ships planned through 2025. So. There we go. So yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, and so that means the next one will be twenty twenty five. That's interesting. That's a very tight time frame to have the next that one it done. Is. That it is. The uh, the next interesting question was uh, to Justin was this: You said you didn't get off the ship in Nassau. Why? Um, I'd already visited the port. I wanted to explore the ship instead. I or someone in my party was not feeling well. My port adventure was canceled. Mm-hmm. And other, and in other, uh, Justin wrote: Nassau is disgusting and unsafe. And so, to be fair, I had uh, I had talked to Justin ahead of time about this, and I said, "Hey, you you know, there's a State Department warning mm. about tourist safety in NASA, mm. and if you've been there before, there's and you haven't seen the ship, there's probably not a great reason to get off the ship in NASA. You should probably stay on the ship and, and enjoy that and explore it more instead." So, I may have biased this particular answer, okay. not the disgusting part, no. but the uh, the unsafe part. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you rate your overall experience in each of the following locations? And Jim, you and I ran around the ship mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Let's let's go through this together. Mm-hmm. So your options are uh, excellent, very good, good, just okay, poor, or I didn't experience. Mm-hmm. Lookout, which is located on the pool deck in the Mickey and Friends Festival of Foods. Did you try this? I didn't make it there. Actually, I thought the food here was great. Mm-hmm. This is the uh, the pool deck. This is the area with like the pizza. Uh, the barbecue. Oh, I thought this was like I, I stand corrected. If it is the barbecue place, yes, made it to that. And oh my God, Chrissy r- raved about the barbecue. Yeah, Chrissy told me too. Yeah, she brought me over there. There too. we go. So, <laughs> uh, the, uh, keg and compass, which I have to say, Jim, in the three days that we were there, did not, I don't even know where this is. Yeah, same thing here. <laughs> and Justin, Justin said, didn't experience mm-hmm. either. Nightingales, again, I know it's a bar. Mm-hmm. Did not get a chance to uh, to experience it. Okay. Currents Bar, which is I think Currents is one of the pool bars. Mm-hmm. Did not get a chance to experience Cove Bar. I know that's an outside bar. Did not get a chance to experience mm-hmm. that. Did you go in the hyperspace lounge? I did, and I have to say, what he said about 
you know, he just said just okay for the just okay. Uh, I would kind of say the same thing. I was actually kind of surprised at how underwhelming the whole thing was. A small, uh, not terribly well themed, and by the way, you're only in here for 45 minutes. Here's your drink. What's your hurry? Yeah. <laughs> here's your coat. Here's your hat. What's your yeah. hurry? Yeah. I thought the idea of it was interesting, mm-hmm. you know, with the screens that simulated you're in space mm-hmm. and with the inventive drink menus. It sort of reminded me of a budget version of the Sublight Lounge on the Galactic Star Cruiser. There you go. There you go. So Justin's rating of Just Okay is exactly what I would say mm-hmm. with it, too. I think it needs vastly more theming. Oh, God, yeah. Um, in, yeah. in order to be a... Uh, a better experience. And, you know, I'm not comparing that to, to sublight, which again is a $5,000 mm-hmm. two night, uh, you know, experience, but like the skyline bar, which is roughly the analogous situation mm-hmm. on the other Disney ships, mm-hmm. the dream and the fantasy is a vastly more pleasant space. I don't know. Totally. To spend 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. When I heard that that's what they were doing, they were taking the skyline bar and, Adapting that to a Star Wars themed experience, I thought, oh, this is going to be amazing. And and if anything, the needle went in the other direction. All the charm the Skyliner has is just not present in the, the Star Wars thing. All right. Uh, uh, last question. Uh, if you were to take another Disney Cruise Line vacation, which of the following would you want to experience during your cruise? And Jim here, I'm thinking this is like future marketing opportunity mm-hmm. question. Please select all that apply. Apollo brunch, Apollo dinner, Apollo wine pairing with dinner. Remy brunch, Remy dinner, Remy wine pairing with dinner. Let me point out there is no Remy mm-hmm. on the wish, right? So if Justin had answered those questions or had checked those boxes, mm-hmm. I would have been super interested to see how that would have happened. Mm-hmm. Paulo Steakhouse brunch, Paulo Steakhouse dinner. They actually got that one right because that is on the, uh, on the wish. Mm-hmm. And then Enchante brunch, dinner, and dessert experience. Or I wouldn't want to experience any of this on a future cruise. That's got to be for marketing, right? Got to be. Got to be. Yeah, I would think. All right, fair. All right, we have a uh, we have another survey. It's from Alyssa, mm-hmm. who says, uh, "I'm a longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you both for your service and especially for the Galactic Star Cruiser episode, mm-hmm. which I regularly re-listen to as a pick me up on less than magical days." <laughs> Alyssa, I hope all of your days are magical. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I'm a uh, Disney Premier Visa card holder, and yesterday I received a survey from Disney Rewards requesting my feedback on a variety of questions, largely concerned with with the benefits offered. I've attached screenshots of the two questions I found most interesting. The first about what I felt the Disney Premier Visa card benefits enabled me to do, and in parentheses, Alyssa put uh, red, buy, buy, buy. (laughs) And the second on what potential new benefits might soften the blow Mm -hmm. of an annual fee increase. So two questions. Here's question one. Mm -hmm. How likely would you be to pay for an increase in annual card fee if the following features and benefits were offered? And this is on a scale from one, which is not likely at all, mm-hmm. to 10, extremely likely. Uh, and the first one is 0% annual percentage rate on all three or six month Chase installment plans mm-hmm. for all Disney purchases greater than $100, i.e. not just for vacation packages. Okay. Eh. Mm-hmm. Exclusive elevated car design options, i.e. a metal card. <laughs> A 10% discount on an annual Disney Plus subscription, which is like, what, a month and a couple weeks free. Mm -hmm. Early purchase access for park hard ticket events and merchandise. And a 5% reward on Marvel Unlimited subscriptions. Mm. And the second question is this. Focused only on the features and benefits you've used in the past 12 months, would you say the features and benefits allowed you to dot, 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 Mm -hmm. 
visit a Disney theme park in 2021, 2022, when you otherwise would not have, to make additional purchases at shopdisney.com that you otherwise would not have, to make an extra visit to a Disney theme park in addition to a visit you'd already made or plan to make, to stay at a Disney resort instead of a non-Disney hotel, to stay more days at a Disney theme park than you would have otherwise, or to spend more than you would have otherwise on food and beverages, merch, or recreation, or to upgrade your ticket at a Disney theme park to a multi-day or park hopper experience. And the final option is none of these. So Alyssa ends with this. On a personal note, who is getting excited over the prospect of metal credit cards and how can I get a prescription for whatever they're on? (laughs) (laughs) Have we talked about Disney Prime? We mentioned that it might be a thing, but we haven't talked in detail about it since the rumor came out. Okay, because whether it's the metal credit card or a number of the things that are mentioned here, the discount on Disney Plus and, and that sort of thing, and can't help but think that, oh, geez, I recognize some of these from the pitch for Disney Prime. And you know, so how much of this is info gathering from folks who already have things like a Disney visa to the effect of, is there an appetite out for this? And, and if so, what do we yeah. have to offer to these people who already have these things? For the, to convince them to go with a, a Disney Prime. That's true. So uh, so Prime could come with the uh, Disney credit card or somehow be linked in where it'd be an extra incremental fee, but they're trying to figure out like how to soften that blow. There we go. There we go. With things. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's super interesting. Because mm-hmm. some of those things like, you know, a middle card. I mean, middle's reasonably tough to do in uh, in the credit card industry. It's certainly not the preferred form of, of physical medium that would probably be plastic. Look at it this way, Len. You know, at some point in the future, you will be cornered by a Bond villain. Yeah. <laughs> and you want something to deflect the bullet. There we go. You know, as odd job comes at you, you pull out your your metal Disney card and you fling, you know, it's like. <laughs> exactly. Right in the head. Okay. So fair. There are situations in which that would be useful. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Uh, one more quick survey from Catherine, who got a super specific Disney spring survey. Mm-hmm. And Jim, I want to read you here the questions Mm -hmm. to figure out what step two in this master plan is, right? Here's the question. Mm -hmm. Before today, have you heard about or seen anything from the National Geographic Lifestyle Apparel Collection? And it shows pictures of the uh, clothing items in this apparel collection. And the answers are yes, not sure, or no, I'm not aware of it. And then there's a following uh, question. Where did you first, if, if you answered that you're familiar with it, uh, where did you first hear about the National Geographic Lifestyle Apparel Collection? In the Disney store in Times Square, word of mouth, TikTok, in a store at a Disney theme park, Instagram, email, online news sources, Facebook, and others. And then which of the following best describes why you're not interested <laughs> in purchasing any items from the National Geographic Lifestyle Apparel Collection? Mm-hmm. I don't feel that it's for me. It's too expensive. The designs aren't my style. The items feel low quality. I didn't expect to find Net Geo products on Shop Disney or other. Jim, this is like saying why, like Target asking you why you did not buy the pumpkin-themed no-slip socks as you walk through the footwear section. Like this is a super, super specific survey. Yeah. Why, why even send this out? We're looking at like eight answers on this. I mean, this is one of these situations where remember on the heels of the. The Fox acquisition where every division at Disney was put under pressure to the effect of we have to reclaim yeah. that $71.3 billion. Yeah. And how many of us, we think of National Geographic as, well, close, of course. And just the notion of, well, this will help us recover that money. And it's like, no, no, it won't. Yeah. And the fact that 
they floated a trial balloon. In fact, I haven't been in the Disney store in Times Square since December of last year. In fact, when we went, uh, you and I went to the MoMA for that Baroque Disney exhibit. Now I suddenly feel like, well, I got to get to the Disney store to actually see this National Geographic stuff before it goes away forever. All right. Two quick listener uh, emails. One from John, who says, as a longtime listener of the Disney Dish podcast many months ago, I heard you all mention a project from the Smithsonian where they were collecting photos of family vacations to Disney parks. I found the website, and it was the final day of submission. I emailed them five photos of my family trip to Disneyland in 1957 when I was six and a half years old. It was Tulsa, Oklahoma to Disneyland via Route 66. Recently, I received an email response from the Smithsonian saying that they had accepted one or more of my photos for their exhibition. Needless to say, all of us involved are thrilled to hear this. Mm -hmm. And even if it's one photo in the exhibit, we're all planning a trip next year to see it. Thanks again, John from Katie, Texas. Cool, cool. So I've got, a, and I've got a number of these actually from people who are like, yeah, they took my photo and now I'm going to Washington, D.C. just to see it, which I think is super cool. So I'm very excited for this uh, this upcoming exhibit. And this is our friend um, Bethany Bemis. There we go. Who is, uh, there we go. It. Can't, yeah. can't wait to see this exhibit. Yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, I'm going to try and be there for opening day. God knows what the crowds are going to be like for that, but you know. All true. All right. Uh, one more uh, email. And actually, this is from a series of people. So uh, remember last week, Jim, we, we had talked about a listener who couldn't figure out how to show cast members at the park entrance that they were staying at a good neighbor hotel in Walt Disney World and thus eligible for early theme park entry. And the question was, what's the proper way to do this? And Jim, mm-hmm. <laughs> let me just say, there is there is what we like to call in the business a difference of opinion ah. on how to do this. Okay. So Jeff wrote in and said, I can confirm that those staying at Shades of Green can link their reservation on MDE to allow for extra hours access. We did this in August, and we did it again for our trip this upcoming week, and it works well. MDE knows the number of people in the reservation, and only that many can be chosen in my Disney experience. And I'd heard the same thing, too, for the Mm -hmm. swan and dolphin. So Shades of Green, swan, dolphin, fine. Mm -hmm. Brendan wrote in to say, I'm a big My Disney Experience guy, so I am no stranger to planning, linking, booking, etc. For some reason, however, our Hilton reservations will not link in the app. Hmm. After asking about a dozen people how I could make sure I'd be able to get in the parks for early entry, including official Disney guest relations at Disney Springs, who said they absolutely could not help, we finally landed back at the concierge desk inside the Hilton Hotel. After going through a few different staff members who acted as if they had never heard of early theme park entry, Hmm. we got a manager who could help. Hmm. Believe it or not, the answer is they give you what is essentially a business card, one for each guest. The concierge writes down a bunch of numbers, essentially a confirmation code, the dates of your stay, and each guest's name on a little paper card Mm -hmm. with Disney branding on them. And those are what you show to the cast members at the park gates for early entry. To my understanding, this is the process for all third-party Disney Springs hotel resorts. Oh, Brendan, my friend, it is not. All right, so here's, uh, because then I I got an email from John Mm -hmm. who said, I'm a pass holder and I typically stay at one of the off-site Disney Springs hotels Mm -hmm. that provide early entry. I can confirm that you actually cannot link a Hilton, Holiday Inn, or Best Western reservation to your My Disney experience. So there's really no way for Disney to know you get an early entry until you go to the park and approach a cast member. Most of my encounters, John says, mm-hmm. um, involve, the kind of ca- uh, involve the kind of cast member having no idea about the policy and needing to ask a supervisor. The most recent time, the cast members actually had to Google Disney World's Good Neighbor Hotels to see the list. And to make it even worse, Mm -hmm. at the time, the Holiday Inn name was listed on the Disney website incorrectly, leaving me trying to explain that the hotel I was staying at was, in fact, the Disney Springs Mm -hmm. location. All right. 
So, uh, and John closes by saying, um, all in all, it's a result of Disney creating a policy, but not having a good way to cleanly implement it, not properly informing all the frontline cast members about it, and just hoping for the best. But John did, because he knows of my promise, Jim, <laughs> to say only positive things about the Disney Corporation. Mm-hmm. He said, Len, as a positive sign, Disney has a wonderful new opportunity mm-hmm. for their offsite guests to get to know cast members on a more detailed level. <laughs> and that's what this is. Okay. Okay. So I've actually, and I've, I've heard from Katie, who's a travel agent, who said basically the same thing about the Hilton Bonnet Creek. Uh, she said her first step involves um, call, calling the MD help desk. And then the, those people consult some sort of magical list that doesn't exist outside of their offices. If the hotel is on their list, yay, everything's set. If not, mm-hmm. step two, uh, which is, does this list appear anywhere on the internet and how do I do it? So step two involves uh, calling the hotel. Mm-hmm. And is the uh, the concierge says link to MD. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't work, is there a card? Yes, but the guests have to ask for the magic card. And it's good for the length of stay. But how do guests know that? Mm-hmm. The trick is they don't unless they ask. So I've actually, I've actually emailed Disney mm-hmm. public relations or media relations. And they said, look, I've got these five emails. Mm-hmm from five different hotels with five different experiences mm-hmm. on how to take advantage of this entitlement that they were provided. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have a list anywhere that says, if you're staying at this hotel, then do this? Because it seems like it's a different process depending on where you're staying. At. Now, I don't expect Jim mm-hmm. to hear back from media relations at all mm-hmm. because they are definitely booked filling filling other news organizations with magic of their own, right? They are, they are completely booked, providing wonderful dreamlike experiences to the other, other members of the media. So I understand how they're not going to get back to me. But if they do, mm-hmm. I will be sure to share it on this particular uh, show. We'll see. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. We're gonna <laughs> Here, this is me holding my breath. <sighs> okay. All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, uh, Jim tells us about the history of Disney's Pop Century Resort. We'll be right back. Do you feel like you need a bit more magic in your life? Why not give Storybook Destinations a try? Storybook Destinations is an authorized Disney vacation planner, and all of their counselors who work for this full-service travel agency have received extensive training when it comes to the Disney theme parks, resorts, cruises, vacation packages, and more. These travel professionals have years of experience when it comes to planning customized Disney vacations, which is why you can always book with confidence when it's the Storybook Destination team that's helping you find the vacation of your dreams. Best of all, they offer their booking and planning services at no cost to you. So if you're once again ready to travel, why not learn more about what Storybook Destination has to offer by visiting their website, www.storybookdestinations.com. We are coming up on the anniversary of the, is it the opening of Pop Century or is it the announcement of Pop Century? I can't remember. It's been a while. That's the problem with Pop Century that there was an announcement that this project was going to go forward. And I want to say that was in 1999 and in this window of time. Uh, Of course, the plan at that point was that the hotel would then open in December of 2001. And that didn't happen. Did not happen. Did not happen. But the Walt Disney World Resort first opened in October of 71. We first had our monorail resorts. You know, we we had you know the contemporary. We had the poly. We eventually got the golf resort. And over time, we saw. In fact, we just spent ten or fifteen minutes talking about the good neighbor resorts down on Hotel Plaza. But then, if we we jump ahead 
to uh, September of 84, Michael Eisner comes through the door as the brand new CEO of Disney. And the Bass Brothers, who effectively sort of engineered Michael uh, landing this job, one of the mandates they gave him is we need more on-property hotels because so much of the business of people who are coming to Walt Disney World, the money is going to hotels and motels that are either on iDrive or 192. Right. And we'd seen this in, a, um, in an internal memo mm-hmm. that, uh, that Disney had put out. This was from the Buzz Price Archives there we where go. they had said, you go. know what, moderately priced hotels mm-hmm. could be an area of expansion for us, right? So- it was, it was fairly common knowledge, both inside and outside the company, that they needed more inexpensively priced hotels. Absolutely. So at that point, in fact, coming out of that the charrette that we have that Buzz's notes on, they adopted a three-pronged approach. They created a brand new monorail resort. That's where we got the Grand mm-hmm. Floridian Beach Resort, which opens in June mm-hmm. of 88. We then get the resort's very first moderate resort, the Caribbean Beach Resort, mm-hmm. which opens in October of, of 1988. And they chose a site that was right next to Epcot, likewise just down the road from where Disney's uh, NGM Studios were being built at that point. And then sort of catty corner from this, we got the first on-property convention hotels. We got the Dolphin and the Swan Swan opens January of 1990. Dolphin opens six months later in, in June of that same year. And Dolphin and the Swan and the Grand Float do well right out of the gate. But it's the Caribbean Beach Resort that's the biggest success. This is a brand new market for Walt Disney World. You know, a whole new generation of people who'd previously gone, geez, the contemporary and the poly are a little, a little rich for my taste. But here's this more affordable hotel right on property. And, and let's do that. So... Disney immediately doubles down on on its moderate. So less than three years later, just up the road, uh, we get the uh, Disney Port Orleans opens May of 91, and then Dixie Landings opens uh, February of 92. And now it gets interesting, Len, because they're looking at how well the moderates are selling, and it's like, okay, could we look at creating yet another tier? Could we, we have our deluxes? our moderates, and then what Disney eventually came to call value resorts. So we get our first value, the All-Star Sports. That opens in April of 94. Six months later, uh, November of 94, we we get the All-Star Music. And I have to admit, I'm kind of surprised. I thought the All-Star movies opened, you know, relatively quickly after that. Do you remember this, Len, that they didn't, the, the All-Star movies didn't open until January of 99, almost five years later? That much later? No, I didn't think there was a precedent for doing that. But yeah, if you say it, I believe okay. you. Okay, well, again, that's what my research showed today. And it's just, that doesn't sound wow, right to me. So if anybody has information counter to that, I'd love to hear that because that, that's what's out there now. Anyway, just after this, March of 1997, we get the Wild World of Sports Complex opening. And Mm -hmm. that immediately becomes the home of cheerleading competitions and soccer camps and that sort of thing. And Disney deliberately markets people who are coming to that event. It's like, oh, well, you want to stay at our, well, you're here for a sports event. You want to stay at the All-Star Sports. Makes sense. But guests begin to push back. We want something closer to the venue. We're wasting a lot of time riding on buses or in our cars going back and forth to the to the All-Stars, to the wide world of sports complex. So Disney takes this note to heart and then begins working on a value resort that, that is literally just across the road 
from Wild Wilder Sports. And this now brings us to Pop Century. The idea is that you have this value resort that's built around Hourglass Lake. Basically, half of the resort is going to be themed to the classic years, which runs from 1950 to 1999. And then sure. the other half will be the legendaries from 1900 to 1949. You know, they, they missed a chance here to go with alliterative uh, naming and go with the classic years and the cholera years. <laughs> It's a missed opportunity. And that's probably one of the reasons, Jim, why it didn't get built. But go ahead. Go ahead. The pre penicillin side of the resort. And- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, two world wars, the Spanish flu, the Great Depression. <laughs> like, what was, the, what was the marketing pitch for that second half yeah. of the resort? You know, like, what? what were you, tell me what you were going to do in the 1930s. I, I was about to say, <laughs> like, you know, the, 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 I, you'll be staying in the... The Great Depression side of our resort. <laughs> you know. Hooverville. Our like, brother, what you, can you what spare you, a dime? I know. Like, what was going to be the imagery? I, God. I, you know, the interns were going to have to work overtime on that okay, one. All right, yeah. go ahead. Go All ahead. right. So, and again, the plan was that phase one would open December of 2001. But then, of course, September yeah. 11th, uh, 2001, 9-11 happens. Yeah. And for two and three months... People were terrified to get on planes again. Oh, we were we were trying to um, computerize the touring plans. So I remember trying to get on a plane mm-hmm. in December of 2001 mm-hmm. with aerial maps of Walt Disney World gym. Mm-hmm. And it's the only time I've ever been pulled aside by TSA and put in a room. <laughs> and, be, and, and, and thank God, mm-hmm. thank God I had a copy of the book with me. Okay. Because they were like, this is, this is what we're doing. And. I don't think they believed me as much as they probably ran a background check and said, this guy's not been to Syria recently. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah. There was no fooling no, around no. then. It was not great. Yeah. And I remember, like, I remember getting, like, $58 a night hotel rooms oh, yeah. in over Christmas, which is like winning the lottery. And, and you know, and I was talking to people, mm-hmm. hotel managers, and they are like, you'll never see this again. No. Like, you know, no. this time next year, it'll be... No. Not back to normal, but, you know, you will never see rates like this again. But remember what it was like in 2002 where entire hotels got shut down for, oh, oh rehabbing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dixie Landings, right, was closed. And this is that was actually the first sort of like uh, the first time Bob Sillinger told me to sneak around a uh, security barrier. Mm-hmm. Not sneak around, but like if you accidentally passed it and didn't know what it was well, supposed to be doing and you ended up on the other side of it. <laughs> God forbid. But, you know, get some photos. I used to have the very same st- kind of myopia, Lynn, I would come across a sign that said cast members only and it said, Jim Hill, welcome. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a certain form of dyslexia. There we go. I get it. There we go. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. eventually, Pop Century, the completed side, opens, but it opens in March of 2002. And even then, Disney struggles to, to fill those rooms. Whereas the- so let me ask you this question. They had to make a choice here between starting with the classic years mm-hmm. And starting with the legendary years, why did they pick the classic years? The classic years were closest to Caribbean Beach. And what was interesting about the Caribbean Beach Resort and the Pop Century is they actually shared a back-of-house complex. In fact, the central laundry facility for these two resorts when you check in the lobby at, at Pop Century, just off to the side, hidden behind yeah. the trees, is the giant laundry uh, facility that does the sheets and the towels for both of these complex. So it, it was just literally, okay, 
you know, we'll open the side that's closest to the laundry. Oh, to try and share uh, resources. There we go. There we go. See, I thought it was some sort of like marketing thing. Like, well, the people who are coming would have been alive during the classic years. We'll get them. We'll get them to stay. They'll talk up the resort. Then we'll open the legendary years. But your your thing about saving money makes way more sense. Well, I, you know, I, I'm sure that did in fact factor into it. In fact, I I, I have to say. I always enjoy walking around the lobby of the Pop Century because, again, the wonderful displays. I mean, there's nothing quite like being at the age land that you can see your childhood playthings behind glass. Yeah. Exactly. Look at this it's ancient artifact. You know. <laughs> yeah. We think it was used in some sort of ritualistic ceremony. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, that's a speaking spell. Like, you know, you guys don't understand. <laughs> I had one of these, right? Like,. <laughs> But the classic years opens March of 2002, whereas the legendary years, and, and, and remember, they had started work on at least three and four of the buildings over there. Just, right. They had concrete forms. Oh, just stood Poor. empty for years, Len. In yeah. fact, a couple of times that I covered events at the ESPN Wide World of Sports, and they'd go, oh, I'm sorry, the, the parking here is full, but we'll take you to our satellite lot and you were parking in the parking lot for the legendary years. And it was just, it was yeah. one of those things where it's like, I, every time they were like, absolutely, I will, I will drive over there. I'll park the car and, and, and then maybe I might get lost and take some photos. You know, the interesting thing is I never, I never went over there. Mm -hmm. Like of, of, as, as tempting as it was for the dozens of times I stayed at Pop Century and it was calling like a siren call. I never actually went through the barriers and, and looked there because that was... Well, this is why you're never going to star in a Stephen King story, Len. You know, just yeah, the, the, uh, the, <laughs> the abandoned buildings. You know, they had no appeal to me. Yeah, just getting old. I don't know what it is. But yeah, younger me would have probably done it one night, but uh, but I did not. There we so, go. And, yeah, time's changed. And again, that's how you eluded the Florida theme park vampire. <laughs> okay, but outside of Disney World, mm. right, people are starting to build kid-specific resorts. There we go. Holiday Inn builds the uh, Orlando Suites Resort. Uh, in fact, this actually opened ahead of Disney breaking ground on uh, a Pop Century. It opens in July of 99. And mm -hmm. it, it does okay. It was fine. Yeah. But it's only in October of 2004 when Holiday Inn announces at a press conference in New York that they've just cut a deal with Nickelodeon. And what they're going yeah. to do is retheme this hotel, which, which a lot of folks probably remember is just down the road from the Gaylord. Yep. They're going to turn it into the Nickelodeon Family Suites by Holiday Inn. And people lost their minds, Jim. And that's it, exactly. When this opens in July of 2005, people just, they're throwing money over the transom. It's booked the entire time. Like it is, and people, people would ask me, like, what's the easiest way to get from Nickelodeon to you know whatever park and i was getting that question like a couple times a day mm -hmm. so you know that it was it was super popular and i would say the thing that nickelodeon family suites did right so the thing that holiday inn did right is they set up the play area in a way the water park play area in a way that parents could watch their kids having fun mm -hmm. without having to be with the kids in the water park area like even for young kids, mm -hmm. you could sit in the shade with a drink mm -hmm. and have your kids, you know, 20 feet away and be able to see them no matter where you were sitting. And that was a great setup. It was really, really good design. Absolutely. And so, and so families would spend entire afternoons mm -hmm. here. They're like, why, why would I go to a Disney water park? Mm -hmm. The kid is having, 
as much veneer as they could possibly have. Why would I go anywhere else? That's the thing. Disney noticed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's literally next door to us, and these people are not coming over to our resort, to our theme parks. And meanwhile, they have the half-completed legendary years just standing empty. And so the Imagineers, coupled with the folks at the resort, begin to have conversations about, okay, what is it that makes the Nickelodeon family suites by Holiday Inn so successful? And it's like, okay, well, it's got the animation component. It's got a really decent water play area. It's got suite spaces that hold upwards of six family members. So the Legendary Years was supposed to be like or the classic yeah. years of Pop Century across the way of Hourglass Lake. It was supposed to be a value resort. And... What Disney decided to do was, okay, if we're going to revive this project, uh, first of all, we're going to dedicate a good portion of this now standalone hotel to family suites. I mean, yes, we'll have a value wing, so to speak, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, this is our answer to the Nickelodeon family suite. So this is where we get the Art of Animation Resort. Construction begins in, in the summer of 2010, and the resort itself opens in May of 2012. And they tied it to the four most popular franchises at Disney and Pixar at that time. So it was Lion King, Little Mermaid, and then Cars and Nemo. And in fact, the, the pool area, the big blue pool, their response to you know the Nickelodeon pool was to, to create this area that was themed around yeah. uh, Nemo. And, and the, the, the Cars water play area, too, was, was also this pretty is true. spectacular. This is true. The, um, also, the, um, the Big Blue Pool had music piped in underneath the water. It did. Which was really surprising to a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. Like, when I was at the pool, I think every kid that got jumped in was like, Mom, Dad, they're playing music <laughs> under the water. And, of course, they would want the parents to get in the pool to hear the music, too. And, you know, half the time the parents were like, I believe you. It's cool. There we go, right? <laughs> and half the time, the parents were like, oh, my God, I want to hear this too, okay. right? So yeah. everyone's in the pool. It's more fun. Yeah. I, I did like, I mean, of all of the areas, and I stayed in the Finding Nemo area the most, mm -hmm. I thought the Cars area was actually the most well done in terms of theming. And I know the Lion King has got the walkthrough mm -hmm. with all the, the characters and stuff like that. But if you talk about just like the entire experience of being in an immersive environment and making you feel like you were there. Mm -hmm. I thought the cars area was the best. They do have some some great stuff in that area, but is that the value side of the resort? No, the Little Mermaid is the um, is the single room resort. There we go. Suite, there we go. So that would be the value, and that's actually the farthest away as well. But again, farthest away is relative. It's you know for the money savings, I would probably do it too. Okay, at least when they were doing the Disney themed wings of the hotel, I remember talking with Dave Bossert, who was sort of the liaison of the project, and he would talk about how, for example when they were building, say, the model of, of Triton, they actually got mm -hmm. the, the the animator who worked on the character for the original 1988 film, uh, Andreas Deja, to come in and sign off on it. Likewise, uh, Glenn Keane for The Little Mermaid. So they worked hard at getting the look just right. If we jump ahead to April of 2018, the Nickelodeon mm -hmm. Inn and Suite suddenly closes. And why? Like, what what happened? Did you not update it enough? Because, I mean, at that point, it had been open for a while. And, it, you know, you got to update a hotel every five to seven years. Nickelodeon was sort of drifting away from animation at that point and was doing more, you know, shows like iCarly and that sort of thing. And, right. And that was a little harder to replicate in a, a resort-type setting. Right. You know, they wanted to be able to talk about it on the network. And SpongeBob was a perennial, but a lot of the other IPs yeah. that were there 
representative of the hotel had, had been off the air for, for five to ten years at this point. When Universal Studios Florida first opened in 1991, as part of the, the dedication for that theme park, mm-hmm. the, the, remember, they had a, a Nickelodeon studio right there on site. They planted a time capsule. And the network reps came out and the formal ceremony of the time capsule being buried. Now, Nickelodeon Studios closes at Universal Studios Hollywood, uh, excuse me, Universal Studios Florida in 2005. And at, at that point, they pulled the time capsule out and put it in storage. But when they opened the Nickelodeon Family Suites, they actually mm-hmm. truck the time capsule over to the hotel and as part of the opening, bury it there. So now, again, the the Nickelodeon in its suites closes in April of 2018. Mm-hmm. And the folks from Nickelodeon go, well, all right. You're like, hey, we need our time capsule. Back. That's right. Hang on. Where did we bury that? <laughs> <laughs> this is like, this is going to be one of those uh, A&E late night shows like the... Uh, the history of Oak Island. I was like about to say, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you to have a bunch of podcast people with uh, with metal detectors roaming a bulldozed site yes. over over by the Gaylord <laughs> looking for a, a To castle. my knowledge, it has never been recovered. Uh, oh, Jim, we're just encouraging people. There we at this go. Point. There we go. <laughs> I, you know, I'm free this weekend. I'm just saying. Okay. You, you want to head over? Let me know. All right, the, the, the urban explorers, <laughs> folks. But oh, God. so it's still missing. It's still missing. It's a mystery. I love uh, it. I love it. Um, anyway, to, to just sort of put a, a cap on the pop century art of animation story, this is a value resort that's married to now to a moderate resort that's got Ish, all suites yeah. and value rooms. And then the Skyliner opens in uh, September of, of two. Right. With that amenity, Lynn, how do you describe these two properties now? It's a great question because what we end up doing is we say that, you know, Disney has its four categories mm-hmm. of hotels. So the DVC resorts, mm-hmm. the deluxes, the moderates, and then the values. But within the values, there are actually four segments oh. of the values. Okay. So the lowest tier is the all-star sports and all-star music. Mm-hmm. They're the least expensive of Disney's value resorts. And then one up from that is Disney's um, all-star movies. Okay. And then above that is Pop Century, mm-hmm. right? So that's tier three. Mm-hmm. In that. And then tier four would be Art of Animation. And technically, that's actually two tiers as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's five. And it would be the uh, Little Mermaid rooms mm-hmm. at Art of Animation are more expensive in the rooms of Pop Century, mm-hmm. and then the suites are more expensive still. Hmm. So within that segment, they've actually broken that up, just sort of the way that they do too at at Moderates, mm-hmm. where you've got different views that um, segment your your oh, uh, room cost. Excellent point. Yeah. Excellent point. You know, the very first Moderate Caribbean Beach Resort, you, you make basically mm-hmm. three of the villages disappear there. You then build the Riviera with the DVCs, which opened in December of 2019, did that then impact what Disney was getting for the Rooms of the Caribbean? The Skyliner has greatly increased the Caribbean's popularity. And that's true even if you tell people this is not otherwise a great resort. Mm -hmm. You will have a 
hike mm -hmm. to get to um, the check-in area. If you have a problem, mm -hmm. you will have a hike to go to the food court. Mm -hmm. And the food court, frankly, is not that good. Mm -hmm. Also, there's bus stops all over and you'll have multiple stops within resort. Even if you tell people mm -hmm. that, they are still choosing Caribbean Beach because of the Skyliner. Mm -hmm. their, their rating over the room is the same. It's the lowest rated moderate, okay. right? But because people consider the Skyliner such an attraction, and more importantly, it's not a bus. Mm -hmm. It's on par with being like at a monorail resort, but paying moderate prices. Fascinating, fascinating. We could do an entire show on the psychology of what, what happens when you add the Skyliner to a non-deluxe resort. Wow. By the way, I heard a, heard a story yesterday related to the Riviera. Um, you know how like uh, Disney has evening, extra evening, like extended evening theme park hours mm -hmm. for guests staying at deluxe resorts and TVC resorts. So uh, a friend of a friend yesterday was staying at Riviera, was going to Magic Kingdom for the, uh, for the event, said, hey, I'm staying at the Riviera. And the cast member said, the Riviera is a moderate mm -hmm. and didn't let this person in. And actually had to call a manager over to say, no, the Riviera is a DVC resort. Mm -hmm. here, here are your terms and conditions. But I, I think the cast member was actually confusing the Riviera with Caribbean Beach, wow. which is a moderate. And you can, it, you can kind of see how that would make sense. But again, it, the only reason it got to me was because there was guest impact, right? But still a funny story. I'm, I'm looking now at the announcement of the, the change out of the pirate rooms at Caribbean Beach Resort in the yeah, Trinidad. Going like, to a Nemo. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So now you'll have Nemo themes at at least two resorts. Wow. Okay. You'll have it at Caribbean Beach and you'll have it at um, Art of Animation. Wow. Okay. Whatever gets people into the rooms, I guess, is what they'll do. But but anyway, there you go. That's Pop Century by way of Art, Art of Animation. And again, I'm just fascinated about what you said about the Skyliner, which, again, I wonder... You know, does that bode well for eventually expanding this transportation system, given what it did to the perceived value of those hotels? That's what I was thinking. Like, and, uh, and I've started to run the numbers on this, but like, take something like the all-star resorts where you've got thousands of rooms, right? If you could get $10 more a night for each room and say it's on the Skyliner route, how many months, weeks or months or years? would it be until you broke even on the cost of the Skyliner? Because mm. you figure, you know, let's say that it's $10 more a night and you're selling, I'm just making up a number here, 2,500 rooms a mm -hmm. night. It's $25,000 a day in, in additional revenue. It's, uh, what, 175000 a week? Mm -hmm. I mean, times 52 is $9 million a year. How many years until you break even on I, it? I, I would say, Len, you're looking at three or four, but after that, that's all sheer profit. I know. Yeah, yeah. And after that, it's just, and yeah, you've got maintenance and stuff like that. So let's say instead of three or four, it's four to five, mm -hmm. you know, with maintenance and whatnot. But still, five years? Yeah. That's a decent investment. No, it is. Right? It is. So, good. so yeah. Interesting to see. Yep. Fantastic. Great story. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, glad, glad, glad to share. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and at Jimmy Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We have brand new Bandcamp exclusives, including the one we recorded on the Disney Wish with the history of Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean, and we just recorded part two of our history of Cars Land shows. And that's out either now or next week, right, Jim? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len, at TouringPlans.com. 
were produced fabulously by Erin Adams, who will be selling Aunt Bessie Adams' own blend of peppermint cherry lip balm and her lovely cranberry-scented mace spray, Aunt Bessie was a handsome woman and she was prepared for everything, at the 2022 Mistletoe Market, this Thursday, November 3rd through Sunday, November 6th, at the Southwest Virginia Higher Education Center in beautiful downtown Abington, Virginia. While Erin's doing that, please go on to iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. And for each week in November... We'll be giving away a free Disney Dish t-shirt to one lucky iTunes reviewer drawn at random. Do me a favor, please, and send me a copy of that review so I have your email address. My email is lettertouringplans.com. Congratulations to this week's winner, Suzette. We'll be getting that free Disney Dish t-shirt in the mail soon. It makes a lovely towel for dusting during the holiday season. For Jim, <laughs> for Jim this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.